<clears throat> I don't have slides today. I'm used to doing all that, but we're just getting back to church, so can we just talk a little bit? I don't know if you've noticed, <clears throat> our world is a little nuts. Maybe not in Chihuahua, but uh, it's crazy. And <clears throat> I think what happens is, as we begin to panic, you know what that indicates to me? Yeah, our world has always been nuts. When did our world go nuts? In the garden, when Eve goes, hmm. And Satan says, well, God's trying to rip you off. And <clears throat> Eve said, well, I agree. And Adam said, nothing. And so our world went tilt. And one of the things in America is that we kind of think that our world shouldn't be tilted. Right? We think <clears throat> that this is a Christian country, so everything should work on Christian principles. I want to tell you something. It hasn't for a long time. And, and I'm not in favor of a lot of what's going on, but I have to tell you this. If I read my Bible right, it's going to get worse before it gets better. God never promised to make our worlds work here. And the panic that I feel and we feel is an indication that I think we've gotten off target. So what I want to talk about for the next three weeks, by the way, I heard that Dan Work preaches for an hour and a half. Is that right? <laughs> what time do you normally get done? What time? One thirty. That's a man of God there. He's part Ethiopian. I went to Ethiopia. When I started going to Ethiopia, they didn't have watches. It was like unbelievable. And the first place I preached, Worku said to me, dude, some of these people walk three days to hear you. Give them the goods. I'm like, three days? I can't get people to show up if the Seahawks are playing. So I loved Ethiopia. <clears throat> that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but that's just an aside. What I really want to think about in the next three weeks is what Jesus or God calls us to. Because in order to not panic, we need to reorient our thinking about who we are or more accurately, whose we are and what that means. Right? I still think that as believers, at least in America, at least in Western culture, we've bought into a bunch of stuff that isn't true. We believe at some level that God exists to bless our world, to make it work out. In fact, when we share the gospel, we sometimes say, man, if you trust Jesus, your life will work. Well, that hasn't necessarily been true in my life. I don't know about yours. Do Christians get cancer, brother? Right? And we can pray for his healing, and we do, but the truth is he's staring down the barrel of eternity, and so are you. 
and so am I. And we forget, we have to reorient our lives to think that we're about a different kingdom. This world is not our kingdom. We're foreigners here. We're aliens. Aliens. That was a combination of alien and weirdos. Aliens. I don't know where that came from. I'm out of practice. Okay, Lord, we interrupt this message for a brief fall. My computer also quit this morning. Normally, I just have the tablet half, and it decided it didn't want to work, so I have to have this whole thing up here. We don't have time in three weeks to develop all this, what this means, but I'm going to challenge us to rethink the simplicity of what... And nobody ever answered me. What time do you quit? Well, most of you will quit before I get done, so let me know when you're going to quit. What are you used to? What? Before noon? Oh, we got lots of time. Is there music after this? Oh, bummer. Okay. If we do not go back to the basics and establish the nature of the church, we're going to go in a bunch of directions and blow apart. I read a statistic this week that over 100,000 churches are going to close before fall. Now, there's a couple of reasons. One, this whole COVID thing has people not, you know, they can't attend and giving us down. But two, Satan is using this whole thing to divide believers. Have you ever heard of churches fighting over the color of carpet? Not in Tuita. You know what one of the major issues in churches today is? I read that. Churches are fighting over whether to wear these or not. And I'm not going to say you should or you shouldn't. I think the best means of social distancing is this. Don't brush your teeth and don't use your deodorant. You'll be at least six feet apart. (laughs) Nobody has to tell you. You can figure that out, right? If your nose is going to work six feet, that'll tell you. My wife says, no, consider a mask, honey. I don't like that deal. My kids say, Dad, actually, you look quite a bit better with a mask, so that they're on the other side. <clears throat> I'm not telling you what's right or wrong. This is one of those Romans 14 or 1 Corinthians 8 issues. But if we're dividing over stuff that isn't what God talks about, have we maybe gotten off target? So I want <clears throat> to very briefly today... Talk about transitions. One, the church in America is in transition, willy-nilly like it or not. It's changing. I have some dear friends. I resigned right before COVID hit. It's the first time in my life I've had good timing. But I have friends who in the middle of this mess, this pandemic, have said, Doug, What we have realized is that our focus was on facilities and programs. We were dependent on those. And God took those away, and you know what happened? I have a friend whose church is at almost ground zero in Minneapolis, Evangelical Free Church, where the riots took place. And he said, we had to just totally shut it down. And he said, we were averaging about... 900 people, 950 before this. He said, last week, I talked to him, didn't talk to him this week, I talked to him last week. 
I think he said 25 or 30,000 various devices listened to their broadcast. So one of the things that we have to understand is if God could multiply his message tenfold, twentyfold, thirtyfold, would we be willing to think, how would that work? And so he's saying, Doug, while we are anxious to get back together, what we have to really think is, what does it mean to reach 30,000 people a week, not 900, and effectively equip them and disciple them? And he said, it's not comfortable for any of us, but God never called us to be what? Comfortable. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I'm not going to be here the next two weeks. I just have to tell you, This is about being a follower of Jesus. And you as a church are in a transition. You know that, right? That's why I'm here. (laughs) You don't have a pastor. And by the way, some have turned you down. I'm not making that as an indictment. I'm just saying, finding a pastor and finding a body, you're in a transition. Correct? So here's what has to happen when we're in transitions, and we're all in transitions. We have to go back to the fundamentals and say, what does it mean? What has Jesus called us to? Okay, at the church I just left, they answered me. <clears throat> this is called a free church, correct? Evangelical free. But free is in there which means you're free to respond, okay? When we're confronted with change, we have to go back to say, what are our foundational principles? What is it God's really called us to do and to be? What did Jesus call his disciples to do? Nope. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. When he first met him, what did he call him to do? Now that I said no, nobody's going to answer again. That was dumb. Follow me. Come and follow me. That's the essence of Christianity. Follow me. He didn't ask him to pray a prayer. By the way, when did the disciples pray the prayer of faith? Who said never? You get a gold star. Never did. In fact, they didn't even understand who Jesus was and what he was doing till when? He rose from the dead and showed back up. Hey, boys, this is me. No way. They're in hiding. So this process of faith is a growth thing. And what Jesus said is, follow me. Follow me. That's nauseatingly simple. Come and be learners of me. Mathe taste. Learners. And a learner for them was different. What's a learner for us? My wife teaches third grade, and she has had to do it online this year, and that has not been good. <laughs> third graders online with parents who are, don't even know their kids are lousy students. And so Linda got a, a message one day. Shh. My daughter won't do anything I tell her. And I thought, just text her back and say, no kidding. (laughs) But she's like, well, let's try and motivate her. And 
I used to teach, but not anymore. I'd get arrested. It's a learner. Disciples of Jesus are not people who learn about or even believe about Jesus. <coughs> in America, in Western culture, we have made faith a list of facts that we decide we will give mental assent to. Right? Well, Jesus came. He's God. He lived. He died. He rose from the dead. Amen. Believing about Jesus is not enough. What did he ask people to do? Believe in him. Now, I'm not saying there aren't things about Jesus that we don't have to believe, but it's about believing in him. The demons believe about Jesus. They have a better idea sometimes of Jesus is than who, than who we are. The, the Pharisees believed about Jesus. Did they ever deny any of Jesus' miracles? No, they couldn't. Why? Lame people were walking, blind people were seeing, mute people were talking, and dead people were walking. That's hard to deny. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders who killed Jesus, believed about him. They just didn't believe in him enough to follow him. And dear ones, my fear after being a pastor for way more years than I ever wanted to be, which was zero... is that we've created a culture that believes about Jesus, but I'm not sure we have that many of us who believe in him enough to follow him. So if we are in a transition, we have to decide, Lord, what do we want to be? I'm in a transition. I'm no longer pastoring a church. Now I'm saying, Lord, I just want to be around people who want to follow you. And two of our dearest friends have decided, we're all in, we're going to follow Jesus, whether it kills us or not. And it might. So what? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And, and, and I want you also to understand that this wasn't a command, it was an invitation it was an invitation to spend their lives with the God of the universe. How many of you willfully would say, nah, I don't have time. Nah, I got something better to do. I'm working on my handicap. I'm, I'm, I'm. Jesus said, guys, you want to, you want to follow me and understand that what they were talking about was, you want to apprentice under me? I'm going to imprint my life on your life and your life will never be the same. What if Jesus walked in here today with or without a mask and said, I'm inviting you to spend a couple of years with me. It's on my terms, and it's on my timeline. And if you don't have time, neither do I. It's an apprentice. Now listen to how Jesus defined discipleship. 
Listen to this. We think discipleship is going to church, hearing a sermon, taking some notes, maybe, or having your wife take some notes, maybe. Listen to what Jesus says about discipleship. This is his invitation. Matthew 16, 24 to 27. Turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles, whichever you prefer. I never know, never knew at our church whether they were watching the Seahawks playing video games or looking at their Bible. Matthew 16, 24 to 27, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. So it may be a little different than what you're used to. For years, our church was using the NIV. We were in Post Falls, and most of our people thought that was the North Idaho version. And so I sort of had to use that. Matthew 16, 24 to 27. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what will it profit a man or woman they gain the whole world and forfeit their soul. What shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory, in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Does Jesus mean what he says? And does he say what he means? Okay, three of you believe that. Jesus, now get this, this is where Christianity, following Jesus, is really simple. It's not easy, but it's really, really, really simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Jesus says, if we're going to go after him, to follow him, be trained by him, to be conformed to his image, it means that our orientation and our focus must change to match his. Our orientation, we look at the world from God's perspective, not ours, and our focus or our direction must change. Everything about our lives has to refocus or we're not following Jesus. Why? What? We're following ourselves or somebody else without him. Jesus, any of you ever trained dogs or horses? Kids? (laughs) Kids? <laughs> Dogs and horses are easier. Uh, we, had, we used to raise golden retrievers, and they could only live at our house if they were show quality and I could hunt them. My daughter was a show dog snob, and I was a hunter. So if they wouldn't catch birds and bring them back and give them to me exactly like I wanted it, they were gone. Now I'm in the process of helping some folks retrain some horses, and retraining is worse than training, Right? But I got to tell you, I'm working with this 15-year-old gelding who's got a lot of himself in him. And he thinks I should let him do what he wants. Shock. Because his old owner walked around, never made him do anything, and had horse treats right here in his bib overalls. So that horse comes up, walks up to me, puts his head down, and goes, boom, 
Like, give me my treat. No. We're not going there. But that horse believes I exist to make him happy. Wrong. Now, he's going to be happy when we get this all ironed out. If it doesn't kill me, I need your help. (laughs) This is a cowboy. I'm a wannabe. You know what? I think sometimes we deal with Jesus that way. Well, Lord, I don't deserve this. Jesus goes, really? Jesus says what he means and means what he says. And he says this, if you want to focus on you, you'll never be able to focus on me. I want to do this with you, but we got to do it on my terms, Doug, or it won't work. Follow me. So I'm going to give you the first of two, the first two of four questions that you have to answer this week, because I'm going to ask you your answers next week. That'll clear an audience. Dan's not going to be here next week, and he's going to say it's because he has something else to do. But, by the way, <clears throat> it's his fault I'm here. He invited us here. He came to a leadership training on some of this stuff some time ago, and uh, so here I am. Here's the question that only you can answer. Your mom and dad, your spouse, your great-grandparents, your kid, nobody can answer this for you. Is Jesus worth following? Is Jesus worth following, comma, on his terms? Second question, why or why not? You may say no. You may say I don't know. You may say yes. But your decision has to be considered. Don't just say no because. Is Jesus worth following on his terms, yes or no? Why or why not? Now answer that for yourself. Those are the kinds of questions that Jesus asked. Remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus? Yes, Jesus, question. What does somebody have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, and, and he said, keep all the commandments. And the kid said, oh, I've done all that, which tells you it's a little suspect. And then Jesus said, what? Go sell all you have and come back and see me. And what did the kid do? I don't know how old he was. He says, young man. And they were men at 13, so he wasn't very old. What does he do? He goes away very sad. Why? Because his perspective is skewed. He thinks he has too much to lose, and God doesn't have enough to offer. Is Jesus worth Following on his terms. Yes, no, why, why not? 
That's your assignment. How simple is that for this week? As part of being one of Jesus' disciples, he gave the mission to his 12. We're going to talk about this in two weeks, but Matthew 28, 18 to 20, you're familiar with it. You can turn in your Bibles to there if you would. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. The reason I'm making you turn this morning and not putting up there is I want you to be familiar with where you're going to go this week. Jesus came to them and said, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, he's about to leave. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Bros. (laughs) Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Thank you. And by the way, thank you for asking out loud. That's awesome. See, he's from a real free church. <laughs> Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, therefore what for? He's in charge. <laughs> all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. He's in charge. The problem with the following Jesus is we think we're in charge, and he thinks he's in charge. In fact, he thinks he knows everything. Therefore, therefore, because I have all authority, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So our orientation is what Jesus thinks about the world. Our aim is what Jesus is doing in the world. Does that make sense? If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to be about what he's about. Somebody said that if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. If you aim at the wrong thing, You'll miss what you should be aiming at every time, right? So I've come up with this really, really simple acrostic because I'm not very smart. The purpose of this series is to help us consider our aim in life. Where are we headed and why? Are we on target or not? Okay? Any of you shoot a bow and arrow? Oh, men of God. And a young woman of God. That a girl. Okay, for those of you who are not godly, what are these? They're arrows. Very good. And this is one of my business arrows. That is a killing machine. And um, I I shoot these because sometimes I hunt things that hunt back. (laughs) And so when you do that, one of my bucket list goals in my life is to shoot uh, a Kodiak bear with one of these. And you think, you're nuts. Well, I'm going to take somebody who shoots straight with a gun. I'm not that dumb. (laughs) My nephew, this is how nuts he is. He wants to do it with a spear. So the ironic thing is I'm his backup with a bow and arrow. (laughs) 
And then my sons are back up with a cannon. And I said, if the bear gets us both, just name it after us and you can honor us with this dead bear. These arrows are designed to fly straight. These particularly, I don't know what you shoot, but these arrows are advertised as the most accurate arrow in the world. Blah, 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 blah. They're high tech. The middle of these flexes, the end doesn't. They have multiple spine strength throughout them. These babies are nauseatingly accurate. If I shoot them right, if I'm shooting at the right target, and here's the point of this illustration. If these veins are functioning properly. So I'm going to use an acrostic in the next three weeks talking about how's our aim. And the Lord gave this to me um, some years ago and God has used it and it's simple. And whenever I get off track, I go away and do this assessment. How's my aim? So I'm going to call this feather accuracy. This one intimacy, and this one, ministry. And in my life, if I spin out of control or off target, it's because one of those three areas is missing or out around, right? So how well will this arrow fly? Where are my archers? Raise your hand. And if you put a broadhead on it, how will it fly? It's going to go all over. One day we were hunting in the rain. It was back when I was actually hunting with feathers. And and this um, big old cow elk stepped out right in front of me on a logging road, 30 yards away, turned and stopped. I'm like, you have a suicide wish. This is awesome. And I, I, it was with archery, I drew back, and my arrow went like this. Skipped off the ground right underneath her and went out the other side. And she went like this. She never moved. And it was as she was saying, you're a lousy shot. And that's exactly what my hunting partners were saying because they were watching this whole thing. What had happened is... Evidently, I didn't get that feather glued on there well, and in the rainstorm, it came loose, and it came off when I shot, and it was like, you got to be kidding me. So which is the most important vein or feather on the arrow? The one that comes off, right? So here's the way this works. We're going to talk about it a little bit. Um, Accuracy, these veins spin the arrow. If you're into rifle hunting, ballistics, you you have the coefficient, you know, the twist in the barrel, and it gives you a spin rate, and all that makes a big difference in how accurate your bullet is, particularly downrange, right? And now these long-range guys are, it's nothing to shoot 800, 1,000 yards. Uh, I was down on a long range watching these guys, and I'm like, Bam! And it takes several seconds for you to hear that they hit. It's like, you got to be kidding me. And they're shot after shot, 1,000 yards, bam, 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 bam. That makes hunting not hunting, I have to tell you. But 
the spin on the bullet is what gives you accuracy downrange. And on an arrow, accuracy will always lead to intimacy with God. Always. It doesn't just fill our heads. Intimacy always leads to ministry or we don't have intimacy. If we're not involved in what Jesus is asking to do, we're not in love with Jesus. Okay, does that make sense? Accuracy leads to intimacy. Intimacy always leads to ministry. And in fact, what I'm discovering with people is if I, I'm lousy at ministry, it's not that I need to work on ministry. What do I need to work on? Intimacy. Because when I fall in love with Jesus, I can't shut up about him. If you have trouble sharing your faith, guess what? You're not in love with Jesus. Because I'll bet you $10,000 when you fell in love with your spouse, you talked about him. Now, not in the way you sometimes talk about him now. You can't shut up. You can't shut up. You can't shut up. Why? Because you're not. Your heart's full. Your brain's dead and your heart's full. Right? You're in love. You're in love. If you love archery, do you talk about archery? Hunting? I love elk hunting. There's nothing like calling in a big bull and having your client miss. (laughs) Guys pay a lot of money to not be able to shoot well. There are things I love. So if I have trouble talking about Jesus, I'm not in love with him. If you don't spend time in your Bibles, and I'm not going to ask you, <clears throat> 90% of the church, if I were to give you a basic Bible mastery test today, what grade would you get? Going into Bible schools, you know what the average entrance grade is? 10 to 20%. Now it's skewed because they have eggheads right in the test, right? But if I were to ask you today, prove to me that Jesus is God from the word of God. Prove to me that eternity is coming. Prove to me from the text of scripture. Most of us would go. And many of us have sat in church for 30 years. So we think, oh, we know about God, but we don't. So if we're not intimate, we're not studying the word of God. And here's what I will tell you. You know why we're not studying the word of God? We don't need it. You know why we don't need it? Because we're not involved with anybody who doesn't know. We're not involved with unsaved people. Take two weeks and engage unsaved people. Don't try and get them saved. Just ask them, what do they believe about God and why? And you will come to church hungry to learn something new. I guarantee it. Why? You'll have to answer them. So that's the way this works. So we're going to talk about accuracy, intimacy, and ministry. And I have about 10 minutes to talk about accuracy. So buckle up. Skipping a lot of this stuff. If you want to know more of this, we're developing a website or as Dan went through, we have a weekend seminar. Okay, we're just going to look at some verses and then your homework is to say what do they mean. Okay, Matthew twenty two twenty nine. 29. 
What did I do with my Bible? Absconded with it. Matthew 22, 29. I would ask you to read it, but there's only one mic, so here we go. But Jesus answered them. This is where they came to trick him, right? And they said, oh, a woman was married. She died. Then her husband's brother married her. Then he died. Then his brother married her. Then then he died, you know, seven times. This was a woman I wouldn't marry. But it's probably made up. They're just trying to trap him. Jesus answered them, you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. What's he telling religious leaders? You don't know what you don't know. You don't know the word of God, and therefore, some translations say, you haven't got a clue about the power of God. If we don't know the word of God, we don't know how God works. Next one, we're talking about accuracy. John 17, 17. I think on your note page, these are listed, are they not? Well, it doesn't matter the order because I'm skipping a bunch of them. So, but they're there so you don't have to worry about getting these down. <clears throat> John 17, 17 says this. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What context is this? The, the high priestly prayer, right? He's praying for his followers and for his believers. And in the midst of that, he says, sanctify them. How? What does the word sanctify mean? Okay, the pastor and his wife, former pastor and his wife, can't answer. I know you know the answers. (laughs) And my friends can't answer because they've been through this. What is... (laughs) See, you may have to talk to Dan about getting somebody else next week. What does the word sanctify mean? Holy. It's the same word as holy. It means to set apart. It means to set apart for something of specific use. It's nothing super magic or spiritual. This arrow is sanctified. It goes in my quiver and it doesn't come out for target practice. It comes out for one purpose. What is it? To kill. It has one purpose in my life. It is sanctified. Now, I have practice errors, but it's set apart. So what (coughs) Jesus is saying is, God, take my people and set them apart for a unique purpose. Now, I'm not saying you all have to be pastors, all have to be missionaries, some are going to be farmers, some are going to be garbage collectors, some are going to be some are, and the the ones that the Lord punishes are pastors. Okay? sanctify them. So whatever we do, however we live, we have one purpose. It's to be used of God. And how does that happen? Dan, 
you started to speak. Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. If we don't know and operate by this book, we will never be totally sanctified. We'll be made holy by the blood of Jesus, but we will not be useful for his purpose. Does that make sense? Now, if you disagree with that, come back and prove me wrong from the text next week. Just don't do it in front of everybody. Okay? Hebrews 4.12. Man, I'm glad you said you go to noon. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This book won't even judge my actions. It'll judge my attitudes, which sucketh. That's King James. I can't hide from it. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This book will cut us open and tell us the truth. If and only if we let it. Mark Twain, the great theologian. I'm kidding. Sometimes my wife says, you're such a smart aleck, and they don't know. So just know this. I'm kidding if you don't like something I say. Mark Twain says this. It's not the things that I understand about God's word that bothers me. It's the things that I do understand. Because the word of God is not static. It's powerful. And sometimes it's painful. Doug, I understand what you said, and there might have been an element of truth to it, but you and I both know you didn't say it for the right reason. You said that to make you look good and then look bad. Blah, 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 blah. This book is powerful, but it's sometimes painful, and we have to let it do its work. You ever had surgery? How fun is that when you wake up? Ow. I've had a dozen knee surgeries or so. You lose count after a while. But I remember waking up after my knee replacement. And, and they give you now those numb things from the waist down, which is awesome for 12 hours. I called in for a refill. They said, sorry, we don't do that. And I remember telling Linda, it feels like they cut my leg off. And my grandson, who was three at the time, I think, said, three or four, I think they did, Grandpa. I've been watching the video. (laughs) (laughs) But it gave me my life back. It gave me my life back, getting a new knee. And I have to tell you, until we let God 
do surgery on our hearts, we will never know life in him. I have a bunch more verses, but I'm going to skip to just one more section. So accurate understanding is an absolute necessity. So let me ask you this question. Is it possible to follow Jesus without knowing his word? Is it possible to be an ongoing follower of Jesus without knowing what he says? We can be obedient to what we know, but God always calls us to know more. It's impossible to follow Christ without knowing his word. Okay? But it's also impossible to follow Christ without obeying his word word because many of us know way more than we're willing to obey yeah turn to john chapter 14 verses 23 and 24 Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will study my word. Are you awake? Oh, some of you are looking and going, wait, that's not what mine says. (laughs) If anyone loves me, he will, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him, we'll make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear from me is not mine, but the Father's. Does Jesus mean what he says? Does Jesus say what he means? Then what he's saying is, if we know God's word, but we don't keep God's word, we don't love him. I didn't write it. I'm just reading it. You can argue with the boss. That's what he says. Now, turn to Matthew 7, 24 to 29. You guys are listening slow this morning. Jesus is using an illustration. He has great illustrations. Listen to this. Right in front of this is the passage where Jesus says in verse 21, many will show up on the day of judgment and they will say to me, oh, Lord, Lord, here I am. I did all these great things. I cast out demons. I did miracles. This is a pretty impressive ministry list, right, Dan? I don't measure up to this list, and Jesus says, I'm not impressed. Who are you? I don't know you. Get out of my presence. And we're going to talk about that next week. Salvation is not about who you know. It's who knows you. Okay? But this is what he says then. 
everyone, verse 24, then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it didn't fall because it was founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. How stupid was the second guy? It's an illustration, but how stupid was he? Any of you ever built anything? I built a doghouse once and my dog ate it. That's how bad it was. But even I know this. You do not build a house on sand. Duh. You guys know where Wandermere Golf Course is on the way into town? The developer there built a bunch of those houses on that hillside. And those houses were disappearing. It was like a sledding hill. How can a developer build on sand? And we laugh and think, dummy. That's the point of this illustration. And the one in James, when it says a man who uh, hears the word of God but doesn't do it, it's like a person who looks at a mirror in the morning and walks away and forgets he has a booger on his mustache. That's not exactly what he says, but it's the same thing. Or ladies, you put on your makeup and you slip. Somebody called and you put a big old streak of lipstick down your cheek and you got distracted and you go out in public. Stupid. What Jesus is saying, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to know the word of God and not think we have to obey the word of God <coughs> or actually get to obey the word of God. Have any of you seen the commercials? Just okay is not okay. I can't even remember who it's advertising for. Oh, it's an insurance commercial. But the first one was this. A guy takes his car into a brake shop and he says, are you good at brakes? He goes, we're okay. And then he says, if the brakes don't stop you, something will. And the, and the customer is standing there going. And then there's one with the doctor. This guy's waiting for surgery and they're asking the nurse, is he good? Uh, he's Okay. And he walks in and he goes, and he says to the nurse, hey, it's good to be back. I just got reinstated. How about an airline pilot? I know what most of these buttons do. Just okay, it's not. It's not spiritually either. I'm okay. I kind of know John 3.16. I've been taught a lot of this stuff. I get it. Matthew 7 is a really scary passage for me as an individual, as a pastor. I'm afraid for people who show up in eternity and say, well, I went to Doug's church. He taught me all this. And Jesus might say, what did you do that for? Just okay is not okay. If we're going to half-heartedly pursue Jesus, he's not interested we're going to talk more about this next week. But I want to ask you a second set of questions for this week. What were the first ones? Please. Is Jesus worth following? Why or why not? Thank you, Dan. Here's a second set. How well do you know God's word? 
Do you really know God's word and his power in your life? If so, why? If not, why not? And do you want to? The one thing about Jesus is he will never force us. He only invites us. He's not going to override our wills. But he does say this, follow me. I'm not following you. Fair enough? So here's the first question. Is accurately understanding what God says necessary for following Christ? Okay? And you don't have to know it all to start, but you have to know, begin to know. Is accurate obedience to what we know necessary for following Christ? Not perfect, but obedience. In other words, if God calls me to do something and I say, ah, not today, what's he say? Get back to me. (laughs) When I started this process of discipleship, I worked with some young men at a place called Gonzaga University, it was back when the kennel club first started and I could actually get into a game. And, um, but I worked with six guys. That's all I did. Couldn't have a recognized presence just with school. So these guys said, would you mentor us? And I said, okay, and here's what we came up with. We're going to do everything we can to understand the word of God. See what it says. And then here's the agreement we're going to have for the next year and we'll remake it for the following year. Once we understand what God says, we're going to do everything we can to help each other obey it. No exceptions. And one of them said, but, which is where I came up with what I really want to call the new ministry. Well, no, you guys need to know this. My dear wife sits in the second row and she tries to keep me out of trouble. So when I approach those things, here's what happens. And just then I got this. So I'm going to go there anyhow. It'll be a long ride home. She'll speak to me by Deer Park. I want to have a ministry that's called But What Ministries. You know why? Because we all look at what God says and said, well, I would obey, but. Well, I know that's what he says, but. And I just want to say, but what? But what? If we have butts in our life, if we have, <laughs> if we have uh, excuses in our lives for why we can't obey, well, I'm not healthy. I'm not. This dear brother preached two sermons. He's here today after surgery. But what? Well, I don't feel good. I'm too tired. I'd serve the Lord if it wasn't for who I married. Which, by the way, if you're single, you want to think about that. But what? If we're going to be serious about pursuing Jesus Christ, we have to say, I'm in on your terms. And as a church, as you're looking for a guy, here's my two cents worth. 
you better find a guy who doesn't make you comfortable sitting in these nice, comfy, padded seats. You better find a guy who disciples you and says, if you don't want to be discipled, call me when you want to be because we're going to change the world. That's the guy you want. You don't just want a guy who stands up here and flaps his gums. You want a guy who you can go to and say, teach me to be a follower of Jesus no matter what the cost. Find a young guy with... Yeah, that other word. With Find a guy and his wife who say, we'll settle for nothing other than seeing the world change with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if you don't find a guy like that, and you're not willing to follow a guy like that, your church is dead, and our country is going to hell. And pat yourself on the back. It's not our culture's fault. We have sat in the pews, and I can say we because I'm older than some of you, quite a few of you, not all of you. I am so sorry. That's what my wife just went. She's nicer than I am. Get to know her. If we're not willing to say, we'll let the church change so that people 20 and 30 will come, we're going to choke the life out of the church and it will die with us. I love the hymns. But I love the contemporary music. We're so busy holding on to the church and having it our way that the church is croaking. But we're comfortable. So if you're looking for a guy to make you comfortable, you better decide and I better decide in our lives what does it mean to be on target for following Jesus Christ and then find a guy who will not settle for anything else. You have to make that decision before you look for a guy or you'll get the wrong guy. Is that fair? Lord, I'm over time. I talk too much. Would you take over in Jesus' name? Amen.